and I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by Ballinad Town Councillor Mark Duffy. Uniting football leagues north and south of the border has long been a pipe dream for football pundits, clubs and fans alike. And the Dutch consulting firm Hypercube claimed to have devised one such 24-team league and knockout competition, merging the League of Ireland and the Northern Irish Football League. Well, to discuss this, I am joined by Mark, who was instrumental in bringing this proposal forward. Firstly, Mark, how is this something that you got involved in? Hi, good afternoon, uh, Cleveland. How are you doing? Um, uh, I got involved with this. Um, it was actually kind of a coincidence. My brother is called Kieran Lucid. Kieran sold a tech company um, uh, based in Newry um, a couple of years back. With the proceeds of that, he wanted to sort of get involved in a project uh, like this. He was very is very passionate about football in Ireland um, and always looked at the, the League of Ireland and the, and the league in the north, the Irish League, as not reaching its potential. So uh, he went about looking at the, the economic uh, benefits of an All-Ireland League and the footballing uh, benefits of uh, cross-border competition. So he carried out some uh, analysis, some research, and it was at that stage he created three videos that explained the concept Um I had met him just for over lunch and then he offered me a, a role to come on board full-time with him to, to, to work on it. So over the past two years, I've been working with him, meeting with clubs north and south, meet, meeting with associations north and south, um, meeting with consultants like Hypercube, uh, stakeholders like supporters, fans. And we built out a, a working group uh, that consists of Kieran, myself, uh, Brian Curves, obviously doesn't need an introduction, former um, uh, senior international manager for Ireland, um, Stafford Reynolds, who's a chairman on the board, or former chairman of uh, Glen Torn, um, Catherine Toulon, who's um, formerly headed up the, the convention centre in Belfast and is now working, uh, heading up the, the, the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin, um, Kieran Medler, who's a partner in uh, BDO, who are an accountancy firm based on Stephen's Green, and uh, Brendan Dillon, who is um, former chairman of the League of Ireland and owns Dillon Solicitors in Dublin. And then finally, uh, Alex Horn, who is the former uh, chairman of the FA in England. So it's a, it's quite a strong sort of working group and um, we've made a lot of progress in the last that's, few years. That's quite a stellar lineup that you have. And just to go through the proposal from the working group that you mentioned there, uh, it seems to be a 24-team league and knockout competition. How many from each side of the border? Yeah, so originally we had proposed just a full cross-border uh, league of uh, 14 teams uh, with the top with the top side. Um, I think it was eight eight clubs from the south and six from the north. But um, what we said was we have our own ideas and uh, on what would be best for um, football, domestic football on the island. But it's not for us to decide. So. We um, called on the expertise of Hypercube, who work across um, Europe with different federations um, who, who look to restructure cup competitions or league competitions. Hypercube came in and um, they did the research with fans, supporters, and very much the feedback in the north was that they were against fully losing their identity as a league. So um, they came up with a format which basically means uh, it's a split-season approach where... Um, the, the, instead of in, in the League of Ireland where there's currently teams that play each other at least four times sometimes even more in a league so what we have proposed and devised is that based on hypercube feedback uh, is that the clubs play each other home and away domestically once and then uh, the top teams move into um, uh, an all-island series of, uh, and that's 14 teams uh, six from the north and eight 
uh, from the south. So um, that was this proposal. So it basically retains the identity of the of the League of Ireland and the Irish League in the north, but also introduces um, uh, the, the cross border element. Um, and it's basically quite similar to a conference uh, series that you would have in 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 the US. So. Um, that's the format that is uh, that we settled upon. That was uh, palatable to clubs, especially in the north, and is something that the northern clubs have um, very much backed and have asked their association to uh, support it in representation to UEFA. Have all of the clubs uh, been supportive of this proposal? So what we did was we we, we uh, uh, well the clubs put together a letter um, asking their association to ask the question of UEFA to see would UEFA sanction it. Um, of um, of the 10 top-tier clubs in, um, in the League of Ireland, all 10 signed it. Of the 12 Premier uh, League teams in the North, um, 10 of the 12 signed it. Two clubs that didn't sign it, um, maybe surprisingly for some, listener, um, or some listeners, would be uh, Cliftonville, who are predominantly the only nationalist club in uh, the North. Uh, they decided against signing it and uh, Dungannon Swifts um, who have been actually just quite difficult to try and get it in contact with more so than anything but they both decided against not signing it um, so we have 20 of the top 22 uh, clubs on the island who have signed a letter to their association asking um, them to make a joint application to um, UEFA to sanction the league. That's quite remarkable that you only have two naysayers out of an entire island group of clubs. You mentioned Dungannon, difficult to contact, but surprisingly Cliftonville. Have they given reasons why they don't want to be involved? So, right from the get-go, I think Cliftonville were were, were reticent and quite reserved on, on the concept. And um, uh, their chairman had come out and, and called it a, a pipe dream. Um, said, you know, that the numbers don't stack up and there's not enough meat on the bone. So our kind of retort to that and our comeback to that was that we need a bone to put meat on. And this bone is the, the associations asking the, the question of UEFA. And then if UEFA say yes, then we can go to market and um, seek TV deals and seek uh, commercial um, uh, sponsorship deals. But we need to have the certainty from the clubs and associations and UEFA first. And then after we can put the the, the meat on the bone, but we need the bone first. And we've already had very positive discussions. Obviously, pre-COVID, we had um, a, 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 an offer from a, a broadcaster that kind of name, but it was a, a, a one million or just slightly over um, for the TV deal for one year. So that's substantially more than uh, is, is currently on, on the table for um, clubs north or south. So yeah, there's a lot of work on the commercial side and broadcast side. That would make a, a huge difference to the bottom lines of many clubs across the country and Hypercube predict that if this plan was to go ahead it would increase fivefold in the first 10 years of, of the, yeah. all of the income for Irish soccer clubs. Yeah, like the, 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 the figures are very promising both from a financial performance point of view and a football performance point of view and, and, and the two of them are interlinked. Hypercube have basically said that, like you've said, a five-fold increase over a 10-year period. Um, but that would be interlinked with an increase in standards by teams playing each other, uh, an increased market. If you take even the sponsorship market of the island, you, you, you'd increase the population to 6.6 million for any uh, potential adverti- advertisers and broadcasters. So it's, it's a big, bigger market and it will be r- ran on a professional basis. And Hypercube, uh, they don't mess around in terms of 
they their business is uh, being you know accurate to you know uh, decimal places on um, on their predictions and they're, if if they're um, incorrect in the predictions they begin to lose credibility but they have been 100% accurate in any of their predictions on different uh, formats throughout Europe so there's no reason to suggest that what they're saying here uh, wouldn't be the case so it's very promising very exciting and um, the vast majority of clubs north and south are, have bought into that um, what, where we want sort of additional uh, revenues and, and, and with us additional potential is both governments joining into a cross-border uh, initiative to help improve infrastructure grounds and part of that could come and uh, in in the, um, uh, the European peace money that's still available regardless of uh, Brexit, there's peace money available uh, coming down the tracks next year to the tune of $650 million. so we very much want this All-Ireland League to be part of that so we met with the the Minister of Communities, who is a, a remit for sport, Minister Deirdre Hargy. She's left that position since, but um, we've met her advisors as well um, to, 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 to make sure that it's front and centre in their plans. I'd also met with Tishik, the Avraiker, and Tanish, the Simon Coveney at the time, obviously, um, and they were very much supportive of it. But it, it needs to be a cross border um, effort on it. So um, we, we've made a lot of uh, headway, um, but we're, we're, we're nowhere near there just yet but it's going in the right direction That's quite fascinating and clearly an awful lot of work has gone into it and it's it's a credit to you and the and the vested interests that have so far brought this to attention and with a successful project and looking at some of the numbers from Hypercube it is really fascinating to see within the reports you know how exact they kind of have this down they talk about increasing the likelihood from a current 28% chance of Irish teams in the League of Ireland qualifying for the Europa League to to 68% after yeah. 10 years that's for Northern Irish clubs they would go from 4% of a chance currently reaching the Europa League group stages to going up to 26% so that's a huge mm-hmm. difference there and they also bring up the idea comparing the Irish leagues to the Scottish Premiership to show how the sporting strength of clubs on the island would improve and they seem to you know make similarities between the two different leagues but Personally, when I look at that, see a, a comparison with the Scottish leagues trying to make it marketable to broadcasters, I look at the SBL over in Scotland and the cynic in me sees how the TV broadcasting rights are done for that league, which is built around the old firm games between Rangers and Celtic. That's a clash entirely deep-rooted in sectarianism. So yeah. there is a fear that this league would entrench existing conflicts, oftentimes as football unfortunately does. But is it, is this something that you're aware of and you're going to be uh, yeah. trying to prevent? It's a good question. Uh, first thing on that, any of our numbers and projections and comparisons um, with the SPFL were were taking Rangers and Celtic out of it. So if um, from the commercial and broadcast point of view. It was taking um, the, the the big two outliers out of it and comparing hinterland. The likes of Galway would have similar hinterland and population base that Aberdeen would have and Hearts would have. Um, so that's what we have sort of based the numbers on. Um, in, in, in relation to sort of uh, sectarian elements, um, part of the project we uh, carried out a, a kind of a documentary series where. We interviewed and spoke with different uh, clubs in the north uh, before games, and one of the one of the uh, clubs I was tasked with um, 
sort of uh, chatting with the fans was Linfield and uh, to anyone with a southern accent um, going up to I, I went up to the Linfield Rangers supporters club Linfield uh, Linfield slash Rangers supporters club in, in Barrington Garden um, on the Shankill Road and we were we were there with a camera crew and we stood outside and we said could we come in and just chat with a few of the fans about the potential of an All-Ireland League so with a male accent putting pushing the cross-border agenda in uh, in Shankill Road uh, was uh, something that was a little bit uh, intimidating as you can imagine but surprisingly um, the, the, the welcome and the the, the openness and willingness to play games um, cross-border was actually very strong and the, the conversations that I had uh, with the supporters was all about the brilliant memories that Linfield had of playing in the Satanta Cup and then what you had there more recently if Linfield played on dock in a, in a, in a two-legged uh, game called Unite the Union um, but what happened at, at that game was in Linfield supporters down themselves they were all loaded into buses and they had no real pre-match atmosphere and it was kind of, it was basically trusted uh, the fans to behave so they bundled them into buses up before the, crossing the border. And that's not really how to treat fans. If, if the Linfield fans or any fans in order are given a chance, I think we can see their behaviour increase an awful lot more. And I think there needs to be a bit of that willingness to... Um, to think about things a little bit differently. So uh, definitely from my conversations with the, the, the hardcore Linfield fans on the Shankill Road, there was definitely an openness, a willingness, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and and part of the conversation that they said to me, and I kind of related back to some of their conversations, was I said, I said you know, Linfield fans, you know, they get a bad rap, they get a bad reputation. And anyone of the tables that I speak to, they're all, you could instantly see their heads start to nod. And... Uh, and it's something, that they, it's something that they feel strongly about. So I think there needs to be, we need to be willing to cross uh, the bridge and, you know, um, make steps uh, towards the future, not to dwell as much on, 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 on the past and the perception that's there in the past. You know? Yeah, that's very good sentiments indeed. And I think it's a, a very positive outlook to have when trying to create something that is ambitious and yeah. really reforming the entire system as it is. How has the reaction been from the FAI here in Ireland? The FL has actually been uh, very... So, as John Delaney um, uh, lost his kind of reign of power, um, uh, that that sort of correlated with a, a quite positive uh, and increased, uh, increasingly positive relationship with FEI. And um, uh, since the, the change of leadership in the FEI, we've had a, a very positive working relationship with them. They've been very supportive of us, see the potential in it. Um, previous to... Um, to the new leadership being in place, we'd met with Niall Quinn and his kind of visionary group. Um, ours is more focused on the, the, the all island element, and very much has been and, and, and will always be. Uh, whereas Niall Quinn's was just looking at a, a reboot and reformat of um, just the football in the republic. But definitely, our, our our interactions to date have been have been much more positive with the FBI. Can I get your thoughts on the current issues surrounding the interim CEO, Gary Owens, who's been asked to clarify his remarks about uh, changing the the situation regarding council members who stay for longer than 10 years? Do you feel that there is something needed within the FAI to revamp, revitalise the current structures in place? I, I, I think I think it's a diplomatic minefield for any, any leader who takes over uh, the FAI. I, I think it needs a full reboot. Um, he's not the interim 
CEO, so he's kind of in the uh, uncertainty of whether he'll be there in the future. In the future, but the kind of difficulty and challenge that has been there previously and uh, needs to change is that the FAI is so many different parts. There's the schoolboys element. There's the underage structures. There's the League of Ireland. Uh, there's the senior national teams, and all of the different directors and the independent directors. They all have. Um, a different gene pool and DNA in terms of their their football origin, and um, I, I I think it's a it's a big challenge to bring bring things forward. But I think there's a lot of good strides made in terms of uh, uh, the changing of the of the guard. But it's it's clear that there's a, a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, but I I um in, in terms of council members staying on past ten years, I, I don't know if that's a uh, a positive uh, uh, step to make because I think the less um, the, the more you have new blood and new ideas coming into the organisation the better um, to keep things vibrant and stop them stagnating Do you feel there's a certain attitude within the FAI that could do with a change or a rehash at least? Yeah like it's, it's possibly but the, the fact that there is um uh, an in, in, instable uh, leadership there currently because he is an interim CEO. It doesn't give uh, you know much of a confidence of longevity. Um, so I, I do think there needs to be full overall. Um, the way the sometimes CEO will be in the future, I think that needs to be appointed and made. So there's guarantees and certainties given uh, to all the staff because it's a turbulent time. It has been a turbulent time for the FBI staff and. With COVID uh, adding another dimension and uh, complexity to it all, it doesn't help from their from their viewpoint and their 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 um, stand standing. So, I think uh, more certainty needs to be given and as much support that can be given from UEFA and can be given from FIFA and the the the, the Irish government um, would definitely help to 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 give the reboot that it needs. And I think that the All Ireland League should be kind of front and centre of that plan. It would be an incredibly positive step to be taken, I would imagine. But have you heard much from UEFA and FIFA? How positive are they about the proposal? Um, so, kind of, um, we like we we need to be kind of careful of how we how we talk on, on, on things in terms of um, with, with with the IFA and their kind of reticence to it. Um, but we we have a mandate from twenty of the top twenty two clubs, and they are very much supportive of it. And the official line from UEFA is that they gave um, uh, they opened the door to cross border competition um, uh, at a at a convention uh, some years ago, and we believe that our format is something that will um, will fly and will sit positively with uh, UEFA because they're they're very much conscious that there's um, uh, a two tier kind of element in Europe in terms of the powerhouses like La Liga and um, uh, the and the Premier League, and then you have more sort of smaller, smaller leagues that are struggling. Um, clubs that can't can't pay players for twelve months, like you have North and South, and, and they they very much understand that and understand the need to support smaller leagues. And they have said on record formally that they are open to cross border competition. So um, that's that's what sort of guiding us. But we've had informal positive uh, soundings that. Um, that that it, that it, that, it, that it can and will be supported uh, on a European level. Yeah, and I think even as well, there's talk between the Dutch and the Belgian FA to sort of create a, a 
a bigger league there to challenge the Germans and the French on in, on cont- continental uh, scene of things. But finally, before I let you go, Mark, King of the Island is the name of the final part of the competition. Uh, is that a name that's going to stick or not? I think it's a bit monarchist, <laughs> to be honest. So, so uh, the, the, the kind of King of the Island came about with... Uh, Peter Newenhouse, who's the, at the head of Hypercube, and as you might understand, there's there's a few kind of things that get lost in translation. So it was something that he very much was uh, speaking to clubs and saying that the King of the Island is the is the is the kind of the knockout competition part of it. So uh, you have your domestic leagues, and then you move into an All Island series, and then you move into knockout competition. And he called that knockout competition the King of the Island. Now he was also trying to explain to um, some northern clubs how. Um, he was using analogies like um, the, the the head of UEFA is like the Pope, <laughs> but he didn't realise that he was speaking to the majority of uh, or, um, um, uh, Protestant clubs. But um, so there was a bit of there was a bit of story because they, they understood where he was coming from. So we, we decided we would, we would keep it in it. Um, it's not going to be the deal breaker, but it's almost a, a tongue in cheek as and a and a hat uh, tip of the hat to, to Peter and and the Hypercube team. It's, it, it's it's very much a, a Dutch origin, and um, whether it flies or not, I think that's the least of our worries. But for me, <laughs> just out of um, out of uh, for the fun of it all, I, I, I'd like to see it stay with it. If we can get to an All Ireland League series, um, we'll we'll worry about the name first. I think it would be great if we can get to that uh, stage. We'll think about the name then after. And just finally, can I ask you about your own personal Dutch connection? Because I couldn't help notice, you know, you're involved with Hypercube, uh, a Dutch consulting f- consultancy firm. Uh, similarly, during your successful campaign to the municipal district in Belena, you were on the Dutch national broadcaster, NTR. So is there some sort yeah. of secret allegiance between the <laughs> Dutch and yourself? Yeah, no, I, I actually, it's, it's, it's a good coincidence, but the, there was a Dutch... There was a Dutch TV crew that came across the West Coast. I think they were covering the Wild Atlantic Way and during the election campaign, my brother bumped into him. He was doing a bit of promotion for the campaign and his three-wheeler, Robin, Robin Reliant. Uh, it's one of those that you would have seen on, on Only Fools and Horses. But he had that driving around town and the Dutch crew pulled him over and uh, um, interviewed him. And then I had been travelling in Sri Lanka about three years ago and met a, a, a Dutch uh, doctor who was... Um, who had spotted it on Dutch television? I had, we didn't realise, so we put that out online. But I, I showed Peter from Hypercube the, um, the the video, and he says, "I cannot believe it. I was actually only speaking to this guy two weeks ago about a different project." So yeah, it's actually smaller world than you than, than you think when uh, when, uh, when 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 you start start uh, chatting about these things. So somehow this guy, the, Peter, the the consultant from Hypercube, had had is friendly with and had, had only spoken to the the, the Dutch reporter. Um, Couple of weeks previous, so it's a small world, but I don't have any any um, any Dutch connections that I that I know of anyway. So um, very much deep, deeply rooted in, in Mayo, family in Bohol and Charlottetown and Balladrine. Well, Balladrine is almost like the middle ground, but uh, and, and Balna obviously. But um, that's uh, that's where my uh, connections are. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Mark Duffy, local councillor in Balna, with a uh, independent councillor, and definitely not a, a Dutch spy. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much for coming on the show today.